Go ahead. I'm so glad the Lord lets me be a part of this church, and I'm blessed every Sunday when I hear the music, when I worship with you, and I'm grateful to the Lord for that. A.W. Tozer asked the question, what is the worst enemy the church faces today? I suppose if we were to consider that question, we would come to different conclusions. There are some who would say, well, probably the greatest enemy the church faces today is doctrinal impurity. And uh, I would embrace that idea because I believe that that uh, doctrine is extremely important. If we believe that the Bible is the infallible and errant word of God, then what we believe is of utmost importance. So I think that is important. Probably some other would say the greatest threat to the church today is the growing hostility of the government towards the church. We heard recently that the the uh, uh, that America is not a Christian nation, and I concur with that in that America is not a Christian nation. However, I would also say, but it was founded on Judeo-Christian ethics. Now, that is embedded in our buildings from the Supreme Court building to the Washington Monument, from Congress to our currency. So there are those who would say, but what is our status with the government? And they see that as the greatest threat to the church today. Tozier had three ideas or three basic enemies that he saw to the church, and they are progressive. He said the first is routine. And Tozier wrote, the treacherous enemy facing the church of Jesus Christ today is the dictatorship of the routine. In other words, he is saying one of the greatest threats we face is routine that stifles out the move of God's Spirit. That the Spirit of God is not able to move within the church because we are so committed to our routine, and that takes the life out of the church. He goes on to say, the routine dictates... And we can tell not only what will happen next Sunday, but what will occur next month. And if things do not improve, what will take place next year? Then we have reached the place where what has been determines what is, and what is determines what will be. So he says the greatest threat to the church today is routine, that we get in a routine and then out of that routine we find ourselves in a rut that he defines as being in bondage to the routine. And then he says the church begins to rot. Tozer wrote, this is best explained when the psychology of non-expectation takes over and spiritual rigidity sets in, which is an inability to visualize anything better, a lack of desire for improvement. So when Tozer looked at the church and asked the question, what is the greatest threat to the church today? He said it is routine. We get into a routine, and that routine becomes a rut, and when we are in the rut, then the church begins to rot. Now, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today where Israel was definitely in a rut, out of which they had to move to follow God. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness, 
in the Aravah opposite Saf between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. And it came about in the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Edrai. Across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah and the hill country, and in the lowland, and in the Negev, and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, he begins in verse number 6 by saying to them, You have been here long enough. Now look at verse 6. The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. I think all of us would say there are those times in our lives when we end up staying too long in the same place. Whether it is physical, whether it is professional, whether it is spiritual, whatever it is, we would say there are those times in our lives when we end up staying somewhere too long. Why is that? Well, because we get comfortable. We get comfortable where we are, and certainly that was one of the challenges of the Hebrews. In fact, in Amos chapter 1, the Bible says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches, and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp and, like David, have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls. In other words, he is describing the Hebrews as being in a state of comfort. They were at ease in Zion, and they simply wanted to stay there. Well, we also have that same temptation. Sometimes we become victims of our surroundings. We get comfortable in our surroundings. After all, we are Christians in the United States, and to date, though there is, seems to be a growing hostility, basically the country is still favorable to us as Christians. We live in the state of South Carolina, and South Carolina is friendly to Christians. We're members of First Baptist Church of Columbia, a church that has been here for 200 years. The thing that I'm saying is that it's easy for us to get comfortable in our surroundings. We're Christians in the United States and South Carolina. We're members of First Baptist Church. And as a result, we get comfortable. And whenever that happens, then we sometimes stay too long. That, that also is true concerning the programs of the church. We, we get comfortable with a program. And we stay with it after it's dead. 
We, we have this program, and, and, uh, and, and I've, I've been involved in that program, and my parents were involved in that program, and my grandparents were involved in that. I don't know why we established the program, but I like the program. And so sometimes we stay with the program after the program is actually dead and no longer effective, and it holds us in place. Sometimes it's our traditions that hold us in place, and we can't hear the Lord, and that's what Tozer was talking about, because we are committed to the tradition. I heard about a young pastor just been called to a new church, and so he was preaching his early sermon there, and so when he did, he said, I'm going to take this church into the 20th century. Well, one of the members caught him afterwards and said, Pastor, I, I know you misspoke there. He said, this is the 21st century. He said, I know, but we're going to take this one century at a time. <laughs> so sometimes we get locked into where we are. Sometimes it's that tradition that holds us. Sometimes it's lukewarmness. Now, we are warm, but we're not hot, so we're going to stay right where we are. You know, it's one thing to be warm, it's something else to be hot. And so lukewarmness sometimes keeps us right where we are, and we stay there. So the, the fact is, sometimes we stay in a position, whether it's spiritual or something else, we stay in a position too long. But in honesty, he did not say that in this passage of Scripture. He did not say they had been there too long. He said, you have been there long enough. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background as to where the Hebrews were at this time. First of all, it had been about 40 years from the time of their release from bondage. Now, if you look there in our text in verse number 3, it came about in the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month that Moses spoke to the children of Israel. So, at this point, I want you to understand, they had been there for about 40 years since they had been released from bondage. They had been at Horeb for about one year at this time, and God said to them, okay, you have been here long enough. I do not see that necessarily as a negative statement. I don't think that it was negative what he was saying. I think what he was saying is that you have been here long enough in that God has been working in you, preparing you now to move on. So I don't see it as being too long. I, what he says is you've been here long enough. Well, what had happened there? Well, first of all, God had humbled them there. Now, you recall it was here that Moses went up on Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord, and Moses was gone for some time, and the people said, we don't know where he's gone. He, he's gone, and so they came to Aaron and said, Aaron, we want you to make us uh, a God that we can worship. And so he made them the golden calf that we saw recently. They worshiped the calf, but they did not go into the promised land. It had been 40 years since they left bondage, and they still had not entered into the promised land. So, the Bible says in Numbers 14.34, According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you shall know my opposition. So the 40 years was ending. They had been there for 40 years since they had left bondage. That was coming to a close. And so they had been humble there, and now they were prepared to move into the promised land. They were not ready earlier. 
They were not ready to go into the promised land earlier. You recall the Bible says in Exodus 13:17. now it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go, they had been released now, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So I believe whenever he says that you have been here long enough, he says, all right, During this 40 years, I have humbled you and I have prepared you, and now it's time for you to move forward. You have been here long enough. And then he says, and set your journey. Verse number 7. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and so forth. And so he is saying, now then, you have been here long enough. God has been working with you. And now then, it is time for you to go forward. In other words, I have prepared you now for the challenges that are before you. And ladies and gentlemen, understand that following after God does not mean there are no challenges. There are challenges, and we have to be prepared for those challenges. So how then do we go forward? Moses said to them, you've been here long enough, and now it's time for you to go on, to go on forward. How do we do that? Because some of you are in that condition. You've been where you are long enough. So how now do you move forward? And the Bible tells us, first of all, that we forget the past. And what I mean by that is that we have to put the past behind us. I know that we don't forget it because then we would not learn the lessons that we should. But we have to put the past behind us. And the Hebrews had to put some failures behind them. When they came to the edge of the promised land, they sent in 12 spies to spy out the land. And you recall that the spies came back saying that... uh, uh, giving the Bible says a bad report, and so they had they had to put that behind them. When they had come to the promised land before, they received a bad report and responded to it. So now then, they're here again. They're going to have to put that behind them. There are some things that we have to put behind us to move forward. There are some things that you have to put behind if you're going to move forward. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, if you go forward in life, if you're going to go forward in life, there are always things that you have to put behind you. Sometimes it is past failures. Sometimes it is past successes. But you have to put them behind you if you're going forward. A few years ago, there was a Nike commercial. I'm sure you saw it. A basketball player um, was the video. And there was a voiceover that said this. I've missed more than 900 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. Twenty-six times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. That was Michael Jordan. I've had all of these failures in my life, and that is why I succeed. You have to put them behind you to go forward. You know about President Lincoln, who was defeated for the state legislature in Illinois in 1832. He was defeated for vice president in 1856. He was defeated for Congress in 1843. 
he was defeated for the Senate in 1858, and he became president in 1860. He had some things he had to put behind him. If he were going forward, then there were some things that he had to put behind him. Now, folks, the same thing is true with you. There are some successes in your life. There are some failures in your life. If you're going to go forward, then you have to put those things behind you. We put them behind us, and then we start again. We continue forward. Theodore Roosevelt said, The only man who never makes a mistake is the man who never does anything. If you don't want to make a mistake, then don't do anything. But if you do something, you're going to make some mistakes, but you have to put it behind you and go on. Jesus complimented and then rebuked the church in Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2, verse number 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Now, he says three things. He says, you've done all of these good things here. But I have something against you. You don't love me like you used to, so how are you restored? How do you go forward? Three things. He says, first of all, remember. Remember from which you've fallen. So what we do is that we remember how God has been with us. Has God been with you in life? We remember his power, his provision, how he's provided for us. Times we weren't expecting in ways that we weren't expecting. He's been there. We remember his presence. We remember all those things. So what he is saying is that you remember. Remember, that's important that you remember how God has been with you and provided for you. And then he says, repent. Repent of our failures. Repent for lack of faith. Repent for lack of obedience and all those things that we repent of. And then he says, and, and do it again. Do it again. Thomas Edison's laboratory burned down, I think it's in 1914. He lost about a million dollars worth of equipment in that fire. A lot of money in 1914. The next morning when they met together, he said, There is value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Now we can start anew. Friends, we have some mistakes in, in the past. We have some failures in the past. And we need to learn from them so that we can go forward. And as we do, we expect the best. Now, we don't always expect the best, and certainly the, the Hebrews didn't. When they sent in the spies, and the twelve spies came back, two of them came back saying, let's go in and take the land. Ten of them came back, and they had the fruit from the land, saying that it really is all God said that it, that it was. That it, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a wonderful land. Here's the fruit from it. But ten of them said, but the people over there are giants and we are like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we can go in there. There is no way that we... And so they expected the worst. They didn't go in. Job expected the worst. According to Job 3.25, he says, for what I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. Let me ask you a question just between us. Do you expect the best or do you expect the worst? Oftentimes I expect the worst. I, I really do, you know. I mean, sometimes I look around and I say, man, I talk to Harold and I say, Harold, the economy's not going to get any better. We're going down the tubes and there's not anything we can do about it. It's going to get worse. I look at our country, our world, and... And uh, so forth, and I see a, a need for people to uh, 
to stand up and be bold and courageous for Christ. And then I said, I'm not sure this generation of young people is going to do that. I'm not sure they're willing to pay the price to do that. Sometimes I look at the world and I confess to you that I expect the worst when I need to expect the best. I need to expect the best from you. I need to expect the best from our young people. I need to expect, expect the best from our leaders. We need to expect the best. David defeated Goliath because he expected the best. Everybody else saw Goliath as too big to kill. He saw him as too big to miss. David said, if God has been with me when I have gone against the bear, if God has been with me when I've gone against the lion, God is going to be with me when I go against the giant. He expected the best. To go forward, we have to expect the best, so we prepare for the challenges. God prepares us for the challenges ahead. We put some things behind us. We move forward, expecting the best. And we stand on the promises. Now, there has to be a step of faith in verse 7. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites. So we break camp and move forward. So what Moses is saying, you've been here long enough. You've learned. You're prepared. Now then you need to take a step of faith. You need to go forward. A step of faith. When Julius Caesar landed on Britain's soil... He had his soldiers to march to the cliffs of Dover, and to their surprise, when they looked over, the ships on which they had arrived were on fire. In other words, they, there was going to be no retreat. They were going to go forward, and there was no place else for them to go. We take a step of faith, and we stand on the promises. In verse number 8, See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them, and their descendants after them. That was the promise of God. God had promised them this. He said, I'm going to give you the land. That was the promise. So they stand on the promises. Folks, did you know that God has made promises to you and that we can stand on His Word? We can stand on His promises. The Scripture says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, He is able to fulfill every promise that He has made to you. He's able to, he's able to do everything He said He would do. So we move forward in faith and we stand on the promises and then finally we possess the land. Look at verse number 8. See, I place the land before you. Go and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. Move forward to possess the land. Folks, when we are moving forward with God, then we are involved in the fulfillment of His purpose. Now, what is God's purpose? It is to take the gospel into the world. That's what the church is to do. That was the Great Commission. Go into all the world. We are to take the gospel into the world. That's what the Lord has told us. That is His purpose. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse, verse number 8, it said again, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, here was a problem in the, in the early church. God had, the Lord had said to them, I want you to take the gospel. I want you to share the gospel with the world, the uttermost parts of the world. They got comfortable where they were and they didn't leave Jerusalem. They stayed there. They didn't take the gospel into the world. And so then the Lord sent persecution to force them into the world. 
And the Bible says in Acts 8, 1, And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So the Lord had said to them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to share the gospel with the world that desperately needs it. But they became comfortable because they had the gospel, and they stayed right where they were. And the Bible says that God sent persecution. And when persecution came to them, then they went into the world. And as they did, they shared the gospel. And as they did, they were victorious. They went throughout the region, turning the world upside down, sharing the word of Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, when you and I are going forward with God, we also will be victorious because we are in the fulfillment of his purpose. Let me conclude. Some of you have probably been where you are too long. For too long you have been outside the kingdom. For too long you've been lost. For too long you have remained unsaved, unforgiven. Too long. Some of you are believers and you have been where you are spiritually too long. You haven't grown. You don't know the Lord any better today than you did five years ago. You've just not grown. You've been there too long. But you know what I think? I think there are some others here who've been where you are long enough. That God has been at work in your life. He's been preparing you. And he has you ready. And you've been where you are long enough. And now it is time for you to move forward. For some of you, you have been unsaved long enough. And people have been witnessing to you, and they've been praying for you, and they've been encouraging you, and so forth. And you've been in that state long enough, and today's the day that you commit your life to Christ, because you've been there long enough. There are some of you who have been struggling with call to ministry, to be a minister, to be a missionary, to whatever it is that God has been calling you. You've been struggling with it long enough, and God has been working in your life and today's the day that you move forward in faith. There are some of you who have been struggling with uh, church membership. You know, whether or not I do that or not and so forth, I don't know. I'm going to sort of hold on, wait for a better time. And the Lord has been working in your life, and He's been preparing you for this day, and you've been where you are long enough. And the Lord says today, and take a step of faith. Take a step of faith that will lead you to victory and to the fulfillment of my purpose. Some of you have been where you are too long. Some of you are where you are long enough. And this is the day that God has prepared you for. And this is the day when you take your step of faith. Our Father, we come to a time of invitation. And uh, Lord, I pray for those who've been in the condition that they're in long enough. You've been working in their lives, graciously preparing them for this step of faith. I pray, Father, today that they will take that to the glory of the Lord Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. All right, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation. The staff is going to be here at the front. And it's an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you've been where you are long enough and today you want to go forward, this is the day. Stand with me, please. As you come, I'll greet you.